Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Diabetes Dugout. Joining me today, my co-host, Chris Bright. Brighty, how are you? I'm very well, mate. How are things with you? Not too bad, not too bad. Celebrating the fact that Harry Kane's staying with the mighty Spurs for at least a few more months anyway. I did see that. I did see that. You must be a very happy Spurs fan this evening. Uh, Very clever statement. Just saying I'm staying here this summer. Leaves all doors open, but... No, Delight, I think he's one of those. There's no one like him. You cannot replace him. Um, If it's true that he wants to leave to to win trophies, I don't blame him. Um, He's he's been really, he's he's been phenomenal for Spurs. I think he hasn't been handled particularly well so far this season, but absolutely delighted that he's going to be staying. Yeah, like you said, he's completely irreplaceable. As a player, he set the world alight in the Premier League. He's done a great job for the England national team as well. You can't really buy another striker like him on the planet without breaking the bank. So the fact that he's staying with Tottenham gives you a, another good chance of a, of a decent season anyway, mate. And um, yeah, he's a bit of a superstar. And I hear you've been being a bit of a superstar, haven't you, today, John? Have you been, wow. um, you've been in the media, haven't you? You've been, been up to something? Bit of um, bit of a day recording with Diabetes UK. So I've heard. I mean, I've been struggling to get through to your agent all week to get you in for a booking to do the Diabetes wow. Dugout. So it's been it's been tough. It's getting through. So um, yeah, yeah, I hear you're a hear you're a wanted man now. Going to be well, struggling you know, to get hold of you to do anything for the Diabetes Football Community, aren't we? Well, mate, I, you know, it's sort of ten hours recording today, which will equate to eight seconds of commercial <laughs> for national TV. It's um. Uh, no, it, it's good fun and Diabetes UK, they're, they're, I mean, they're great at what they do, aren't they? And promoting the, the help they support. I've got plenty of mentions of TDFC in there, don't worry. So, no, well yeah. done. And uh, yeah, joking aside, it's obviously great news that you're able to share a little bit of your story, share what diabetes is like, and hopefully that will reach far and wide. And it's really important that we're you know, you're involved in something that's able to to shed a light on diabetes and get the awareness out there. So, yeah, well done to you, mate. And uh, I'll stop taking the mickey now. Uh, nearly, well, one day I'll get the blue tick. Uh, <laughs> no, we haven't gone there, John. We haven't gone there. But um, not, not today. Not today. But uh, let's talk about somebody who is far more recognisable than both me and you and somebody who is setting... Uh, a bit of a trend for people with diabetes and probably setting the pace, we should, we should say, in the world of football. Um, who is our guest today then, John? Brighty, joining us today, we have a man who has over 100 p- appearances as a professional footballer. He's played in England, Scotland and Australia, has represented Aus- Australia at under-17 level. 
He's currently playing for newly promoted Cambridge United in League One and all this after being diagnosed with diabetes aged 13. It's Jack Iredale. Jack, welcome. Thank you very much. That's uh, some decent research you've had there. Well, I, I, I'm hoping it's all correct. And if it's not, <laughs> just, just just play along. Say, yeah, no, brilliant. That sounded pretty good, yeah. <laughs> Got it all spot on. We Brilliant. try and do our research on this on this <laughs> podcast, Jack. We try and go into the depths of, of people's stories, especially when it's somebody so important to our diabetes community. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Big game last night. Struggling today, I hear. Yeah, the uh, body's taken a bit of a battering over the last few weeks. Uh, relentless Saturday, Tuesdays. Um, but, you know... Loving the amount of games we're playing and uh, yeah, tough game last night. A bit sore today, so hopefully a few easy days on the pitch and then uh, back at it on the weekend. Ooh, who you got at the weekend? Uh, we've got Bolton at home on the weekend, so big one. Nice. Enjoy, enjoy. Um, Jack, I just wanted to start talking about your, uh, your diagnosis. So diagnosed age 13. Okay, How did the diagnosis come about? Yeah, um, it was either 12 or 13. I can't quite remember. You know, it's been, it's been that long ago, but um, I wasn't feeling it for a few weeks. And, um, you know, mum, mum clocked onto it pretty quickly. She knew something wasn't right. You know, I was waking up and I think, I think one time during the night, I woke up 13 times to go to the toilet and was then, because I was so thirsty, rehydrating myself with full fat Coke because that was my favorite drink back then. So it wasn't, it wasn't uh, too good knowing what I know now. Um, and that was just a vicious cycle. And that happened a few times. Um, and then, you know, I, w- I went into the hospital. Um, you know, I'd, I'd lost, lost a, a load of weight. You know, I had the best six-pack I've ever had in my life at 13. Um, I think if I was a few kilos down after a few weeks. Went into the hospital and um, just got the, the blood sugar test done. Um, and I'm not quite sure what it equates to in the UK, but over there it was... Uh, my, he, the doctor said your sugar should be between four and eight and he said mine were at 32 so I went straight into the uh straight into the hospital um spent a week in the hospital just basically getting to know you know what what was coming my way really so it was a, a bit of a whirlwind week that one and and so you then you get you go into hospital from one moment you've gone from going to the toilet 13 times a night you're in hospital you're then told, Jack, you're diabetic. What what did that mean to you as a 13-year-old? Um, I really good friends who were type 1 diabetic. Um, I grew up doing judo, and they were some of my training partners, and the, both of them were national champions. So I knew that on that level that if you controlled your diabetes well, you were still going to be able to function at high-level sport. But in my head, I was still... I was terrified really when it, when he first, um, when the doctor first told me, you know, my first, my first two questions were, is it going to kill me? And he said, absolutely not. And then my second question was, can I still play football? And he said, if you look after yourself, absolutely. So once I knew those two things, I, I started to calm down. It was obviously still very daunting and scary. Um, but the, the doctors and nurses back home were really, really good, looked after me. Um, and then obviously had the support of my family as well. And, and I leaned on the, the couple of friends that I had that were also type 1 diabetic and, and slowly got to, got to learn my body and, and come to grips with everything and just started piecing together everything that worked for me. Because as you guys know, diabetes, it's not exactly the same for everyone. You know, a lot of stuff works for a lot of people, but your own individuality is, is going to come through. So 
took me quite a while to figure that stuff out. Um, and to be honest, I'm still learning about it as well. So it's been a, a, a long learning process, but I feel like I've, I've got the hang of it now after I think half my life I've had it. So it's, it's scary, isn't it, when you put it like that and you suddenly go, well, it's, it's, been, half, it's been half my life. I, I really like so much want to pick up. You said on there about wanting to keep learning. And I think that's, a, that, that's something that's really key, isn't it? And everyone's different. And just because it's, do, do you ever have that, something that's worked one game and the, the level that you start at, the intensity, anything like that half time, does that then um, vary from game to game for you sometimes or? Um, so I will try to keep my routine exactly the same, basically 24 hours out of, of when I'm going to play. If it's a Tuesday night game or a Saturday game, 24 hours out, I'll have the same meal the night before. And then depending on if it's a 3 p.m. kickoff or a 7.45 kickoff, I'll have the same pre-match food. Um, and I'll, I'll never try and have insulin or I'll have my last meal basically three hours prior to kickoff because I feel like that gives me enough time for my body to, to process the insulin and, and have my sugar levels when I check it pre-game to, to be you know, 100% accurate. So, but even, even with that stuff, you know, I, I can do three or four weeks of it being really good. My sugar levels will be exactly where I want them pre-game. And then I'll have one game where my sugars are just sky high and I've got absolutely no idea why and I'm fighting to get them down. Um, so it, it just goes to show it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Sometimes it might not work, but, you know, when, when that happens, I'll go back and look at maybe anything that's changed the day before, try and fix that um, and, and try and get it back to, to where I want to be. I know, I know where my sugar levels should be before a game for me to, to work at, at optimum levels and that's something I've learned especially over the last few years, probably the last, I'd say, four years since I moved here. I've sort of got that down pat and I feel like, um, you know, the routine that I have now is, is really working for me. Brilliant. No, that's great. And I think just just going back to the, the diagnosis, when, um, so you've got diagnosed, you've come out of hospital, you're keen to get back playing football again. Were the, the club you were playing at at that time, were, were they supportive? Did they have any knowledge of what diabetes was or who was your your big support at that time but when you're going through that youth football level um every coach i've ever had has been absolutely fantastic with me and my diabetes absolutely fantastic the um the two coaches that i was supposed to, i was supposed to be doing a training camp um it was school holidays when i was uh, diagnosed and i was supposed to be going into a week-long training camp um with with uh, some local coaches that, that had been coaching me for years and actually came to visit me in hospital so even, even then, um, you know, they were already on the ball trying to learn and, and help me. And as soon as I come out of hospital, you know, they, they didn't make me feel any different. They just spoke to me on the side before the first day and said, look, what, what do you need from us? What can we do to make this easier? Told them. And then I was just, just a normal kid again, running around playing football with my mates. So um, that made me feel really, really good as my first experience coming out of hospital as a, a newly diabetic kid. Didn't really know what to expect, but, you know, they, they put put me at ease straight away and that first experience that I had with them really set me off then because I went off to other coaches and basically just went through the same process um, and you know some coaches had had diabetic players before some hadn't but it didn't really matter because they all just wanted to make it as easy for me as possible so I've, I've really been eternally grateful to, to every coach I've had that's made it as easy as possible that, for, for me to play. Yeah that's massive Jack and uh I think having those positive experiences with people that are hugely encouraging at the start when you're going through such a massive change is obviously 
really important to keeping you positive around your sport. And I can only imagine that it had that lasting impact then for you going into your sort of teenage years and the challenging period that comes with, I suppose, the growth, the hormones, all of those things. And obviously with you, you had an added extras as well with your teenage years where you had what were very serious injuries. So how did you find having those challenging ACL injuries that you had in those teenage years and managing what was a new condition as well at the time and and then growing up having to having that dream of becoming a footballer with that in the back of your mind having all of that challenge almost thrown at you at the very beginning beginning of a, what was a, a difficult period of your life anyway yeah no the, the, the teenage years of my life really were um really were challenging I did go through quite a bit there um so yeah when I was diagnosed I was 13 I was only a couple months into high school so that in itself is a big change for someone um and then going into hospital for a week and coming out with diabetes um the school was again fantastic with me so yeah I can only thank them for that but by the time um I was I think I just turned 16 and or 15 and I, I'd moved away from home I got a scholarship to play football on the other side of the country so I had diabetes for a few years was given this opportunity it was one that I couldn't turn down it was something that I'd worked towards for years took that up moved away um, so that really helped me grow up a lot earlier and a lot quicker than, than some people I think you know moving away from mum and dad who were my safety blanket really in terms of diabetes I always had them to lean on but then when I, when I moved away, it was a lot more responsibility on my shoulders. So that made me grow up quicker. Um, I traveled the, traveled the world um, by that stage as well, playing football in different countries. Again, it was all a learning experience. It was quite tough as well in, in some, some aspects of that. And I just tried to take bits of information from all of those uh, experiences. And then when I was 16, um, yeah, I tore my ACL for the first time. But to be honest, by that stage, the diabetes wasn't really a problem for me. I'd had it for three or four years by that point. Um, and, you know, I was, I was comfortable with how I was controlling it, thought I was doing a good job. And it, my, my whole focus was just on the rehab and getting the knee right. Um, I was rehabbing while, again, I was away from home, rehabbed for eight months, did it again. Uh, had surgery again, rehabbed for, I think, 14 or 15 months. And this was all without playing a game. So by the end of it, I had gone 22 months without playing a game of football. But the only thing that was driving me was ever since I was five, I just wanted to be a professional footballer. Um, I'd, I'd ask the surgeon, you know, is this going to stop me from playing football? He said, absolutely not. If you do your rehab right, you'll be back. So I just held on to that information and, and kept trying to get there. And I got back to playing I'd moved home by that stage. So I'd been away for two years, um, you know, living away from home, doing all that stuff. Two ACLs, I'd moved back home, was playing football for about four months for the Perth Boy youth team. And then it was, it was a mad game, really. I was on the, on the other side of the country playing against Newcastle, broke my nose on a corner. The big centre-half had, had stuck an elbow into, into my face. And my nose was on, on this side of my face. Physio pushed it back over strapped me up I looked like Richie McCaw ran back on the pitch um, and then two minutes later the balls got slid in behind me and I've twisted to try and to get back and my knee's just gone again and I thought this this can't be happening so I'm on the plane with my knee in a brace and my face all swollen up because I've got a broken nose I don't know if you've seen the picture of Bear Grylls when he's been stung by a bee and his eyes are swollen up and his face is out here 
my teammates really yeah. they tried to cheer me up by just keep showing me that picture and it did work to be fair um and to be honest that was that was really tough that third one I, I didn't think you know I, I was terrified when when I went into the surgeon the third time and I said look is is this possible and this was a different surgeon at the time and he said look we've got new new techniques that we're doing in Europe I've done it a couple of times here it seems to work fantastically I'll do it with you he, he name dropped Michael Essien. He said, Michael Essien's had it done and it works. I was like, all right, fine. If, if it works for Essien, I'll give it a go. Um, and in my head, I thought, you know, if this goes again, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, um, but I'm just going to put everything I possibly have into this and 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 try and make it work. So I was, uh, I was in the gym for, I think, 14, 15 months working with, um, you know, S&C coaches, physios, uh, football specialist teams. And... Uh, yeah, touch wood. It's it's worked. I've I've been injury free for the best part of five or six years now. You know, I, I absolutely hate being in the physio room. Um, if I'm ever in there, it's just for a, a, a light strapping or something, and I get myself out of there straight away. I've spent enough time in the physio room for anyone. Um, and I've yeah, I've been able to play week in week out every week for the last you know years. Moved moved across the world. I'm living in Europe now, and uh, I'm I'm living the dream. So it, it seems to have all worked out. Yeah, certainly seems to be absolutely smashing it at the moment, mate. So, uh, yeah, well done on coming back from all of that because it just looks like an awful lot of tough things to take at a tough time of life. So for you to have come through all of that and to have then lived out the dream that you had, which was to become a professional footballer, huge props, huge kudos for managing that. And I just wondered, you know, having been through all that, what sort of tips or hints, tricks would you give or to people that are going through injuries? Because I've been through some pretty challenging ones. I was out for 11 months with a foot injury. There will be many others that have to go through those challenging times with injury. What sort of things would you suggest for people to to do or to try as they were going through maybe a career threatening injury or, or something they were finding tough to get over? Yeah. Um, for me, the, the best thing I did was getting a specialist SNC coach. Um, the, that guy basically saved my life. He made me bulletproof um, physically. Um, so having someone that was able to hold me accountable, you know, there, there's only so much you can do if you're in the gym by yourself, I found. You know, I'm, I'm quite a driven person, but I found that my results went to a complete different level when I had had this guy holding me accountable. Um, so I was in with him multiple days a week. He was looking after everything in terms of the programming. He was putting putting the weights on my bar, telling me what to lift, when to lift it, how to lift it. And I would just basically just go in the gym and just do everything that he possibly said. Um, so that was one thing that, that really helped me, having you know an, an external influence who was genuinely... Um, caring about where I wanted to be and interested in, in getting the best out of me. And then another thing that really helped me, and I still do it to this day, is goal setting. Um, short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, how you're going to get yourself to those goals, you know, all of that stuff. I've, I've taken that quite seriously at the minute, especially this season, um, working with someone at Cambridge. Um, but even back then, you know, I was setting goals and there's nothing more satisfying than when you set yourself a goal and, and you, you, can, you can put things in place to get yourself to that goal. And when you do get there, you big tick off and then you look at the next one. And then before you know it, you're nearly at the finish line and, and you're doing all the fun stuff. So when, when I had the surgery and I was three months of 
of no running. Um, and for someone who hates preseason as much as I do, when you can't run, all you want to do is be able to run. So just slowly setting off those goals of being able to walk properly and then being able to squat and lift the weights. And then after three months, you're running. And then after five months, you're kicking a ball. And seven months, you're in doing a passing drill with the team. You know, when you can set these goals and when you can see the goals that are achievable, that really does make a difference. There's no point setting a goal that's miles away and then you don't know how to get yourself to there. So it's good to set a goal that's miles away, but then make sure that you're setting short-term goals that you can tick off to get yourself to there. So that's two, two tips that I would probably give to, to people who are really struggling. You know, having someone that holds you accountable and then having achievable goals that you can tick off yourself. Spot on. And from going through um, two fifth metatarsal fractures in six months and having 11 months out and doing... Yeah doing a, a similar career threatening injury, I suppose I thought I was going to have to give up for a while. And I know exactly how you feel there when you can't run, all you want to do is be able to run and setting those goals. I did exactly the same. So I would echo everything that you just said there. I was setting those small uh, or short term goals in the gym. I want to be able to do this. I was on a hand bike for a while, you know, trying yeah, to go. I hate them they're awful and oh, they're <laughs> awful but at the time they're just necessary to keep that yeah. cardiovascular system going and you just i was staring at it thinking why am i doing this but you need that end goal there to help you with that as well so like you said those short and those medium and long-term goals they're all important for different reasons that long-term one because that's the carrot that you want to get back for yeah. but those short-term ones because it's the process of getting you back there isn't it so yeah, really good advice. And I certainly worked with someone in SNC as well to get back. So spot on. Perfect. Um, I'm not talking rubbish then. No, you uh, <laughs> you were speaking speaking to me straight away, Jack. I was just nodding along. I was like, yeah, this is everything that I, I thought as well. But um, I wanted to ask you around your blood glucose levels in all of that time yeah. and managing diabetes because having gone through something similar myself, I know that there was a huge amount of variability because you go from managing your blood glucose levels to play football to then your blood glucose levels to being inactive to then building things back up slowly. So I just wondered if there was any process that you went through with that or any difficulties that you face going from, you know, one minute running around playing, I don't know, two or three football matches a week and being in the gym to then, you know, going through operations, for example, and then being inactive or, or trying to be as active as you could, but without you know, being able to play football, for example. Yeah. Um, it, it was challenging, really, yeah. really challenging. My body's super responsive to insulin just after high-level exercise. Mm -hmm. um, so as soon as I was injured and I wasn't working out, you know, my sugar levels were just sky high. And it was basically trial and error, really. Um, just gradually, I didn't want to, you know, go from, from yeah, one step and then jump four steps ahead with, with, because I'm on, I don't know what, what other people are on. I'm on Lantus overnight or Lantus at nighttime in the mornings. And then I'm on Nova Rapid with my meals. So I had to slowly increase my Lantus until I felt like it sort of leveled me out. And I had to increase my Nova Rapid per meal as well. So that did take me a little bit of time. And then obviously the more active I got, the more I could drop it more and more down and down. Um, and at that time, my body weight was fluctuating massively as well. You know, I was 16, 17. 18, 19, I'm still growing and I'm getting bigger. But when I had, when I had the surgery, two weeks later, I was nine kilos lighter than my playing weight. So I, I 
tore my ACL. I, I checked my weight on that game. I was 81 kilos. And I had surgery three days after. And then two weeks after that, I, I still was hardly walking. And I was 73 kilos, 72 kilos, something like that. So I lost so much weight. And that, that affected um, how, how my body reacted to insulin as well. So it did take a little bit of time. And it was tough. Um, but you just you just need to keep keep working at it because you will get there. You will get there. Yeah, so it's a really important message there and, and just, and actually something that maybe isn't given, um, that there's the, the knowledge around with, with regards to putting on weight and, and, and losing weight and, and having to change your, your insulin. I know for, for me, when I've had various different surgeries and you're inactive, weight goes up. Mm-hmm. So your, your blood sugars are going up because you're not as active. And then also as the weight increases, you're having to do it. Lockdown, similar for me as well. Just the, the weight, just, I, I'd like to pretend it was sort of a one like that, but it was more a straight line up. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. I don't think there's in, there's the, the the knowledge about there, out there. Yeah, no, it's, it it's not written in a book, is it? It's, nah. it's not something that you can just open up, you know, page 47 and see, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I need to do. It's all everyone's different um you i mean you can speak to other people about it but you know a lot of a lot of times with this stuff what works for you will work for you it's not going to work for them so you just need to be a little bit patient and just keep trying to adjust slowly like i said before i, I hated the idea of adjusting you know from a to d rapidly because then you're just i'm just going to crash so it did take a little bit of time um especially with the weight fluctuation and the lack of exercise that was tough to get a hold of um and it, it really did take me, you know, probably a good couple of months to, to, to fully get back to where I was before. Yeah. No, I, th- I think absolutely spot on there. And, and I think I said it's a key message for people. Just, um, just taking you back a little bit. So in, in my opinion, you fulfilled pretty much every schoolboy and schoolgirl's dream of, of going up, growing up, sorry, making it as a professional footballer. I think if you ask, I, as many children as you can. Yeah, I want to be a footballer. I want to be a footballer. Is, is there any, do you have any more sense of, of it being extra special because you've you've been in that such a small percentage that's made it as a professional footballer, but also you've done it as a diabetic as well. Does, does that give you that extra smile, that extra, um, did it give you that extra incentive going, I'm going to do it despite my diabetes? Or did you, were you going, I'm going to do it and my diabetes is going to be something that I can be proud of and, and really inspire me to, to, to make it. Um, to be honest, you know, I never really thought that my diabetes was ever going to adversely affect me. You know, it was always something that I felt like people shouldn't have a different opinion of me because I'm diabetic. You know, it's an extra thing for me to think about, but I was, to be honest, what I was more pleased about getting to the professional football level was, because it was after my, my three ACLs, you know, I hadn't signed my yeah. first professional contract until the ACLs. Um, being diabetic is obviously it's something I'm proud of. It's something that I, I enjoy inspiring, especially younger kids um, who are maybe having a hard time at school, having a hard time at football. They think oh, I'm not going to be able to get there. You know, it's, it doesn't adversely affect me. It's just an extra thing to think about. You know, I've, I've got a bottle of Lucozade by the pitch that sometimes I say gaffer, my sugars are low. I need a drink. And he just says, go and have one. And then I down the bottle of Luca and I'm back on the pitch within 30 seconds, you know? So it's, it's definitely a message that I try and 
And I've, I've spoke to a number of kids who are having a hard time at school. Their parents will message me saying, look, like he's, he's struggling or she's struggling. Like, is there anything you can say? And, and that's exactly the message I'll give them. You know, this, if you do not want this to affect you negatively, it won't. You just need to make sure that you control it and you'll be absolutely fine. Um, and then once, once you are on top of that, there's, there's nothing stopping you from getting to, to where you want to be. So um, to get back to your question, you know, every day when, it, when, it's, when it's football day, I get excited. I'm happy to go out to train. But I think that's because it was so nearly taken away from me. You know, when I was injured and I was sitting in the change rooms, you know, knowing that I have to go into the gym, but the other boys are going out to the pitch and the lads are sitting there going, oh, I can't be, can't be asked going to training today. You know, I'm not in the mood. And I'm just thinking, like, I'm sat here in this knee brace. I would give absolutely everything I had to be able to put my boots on and go outside and train. I'd, I'd, I always held on to that feeling, just knowing that I am lucky to be able to do what I get to do. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there about um, having the Lucas aid on, on the side of the pitch. Do the, the clubs that you've played for, have they, have they all been supportive of you um, with, with the diabetes? Have you, have you ever encountered any problems with any clubs or has, has any club ever gone, oh, you're diabetic, we're not quite sure how to handle that? Never once, never Brilliant. once. Um, the clubs, even coming through junior levels, have always been absolutely fantastic. You know, every time I sign for a new club, I've got to go do a medical. They're more interested in pulling my knee around than than wondering about what the diabetes is like. They they can see from the way I am and and my medical history that I've got that under control. So um, you know, and, and when I speak to the club doctors as well, they're fantastic. Um, all I need to do is just have a conversation with with the manager and say, look. You know, I'm diabetic. On the odd occasion, my sugars will run low during training, but I've always got the Lucasade next to my pitch. Um, all I need to do is jump off and have a drink, and they're absolutely fine with it. I give a, I give a Lucasade to the physio on match day. I say, if I'm ever down on the pitch, just bring that on, because more, more often than not, it'll be because I need that rather than there's something wrong with me. Um, I think the biggest problem I had was one day one of my teammates ate my jelly beans, um, <laughs> and then I, I didn't have any in case I went low. Thankfully, I wasn't low, but... You know, that, that was the biggest problem I had. You know, one day I came in and I had no jelly beans left. So other than that, I've been uh, pretty lucky with how things have went. Brilliant. And and you mentioned there about, about the medicals. Um, do you, is, I mean, everyone's got this, this image of medicals being someone sat in a room, like having their knees test, things pulled. How does, is the medical any different as a diabetic? Do, do they... Do they look at your HbA1c or do they, is, is it just all on, in your experience, is it all on in asking you how you control it? Um, yeah, well, the, the medicals um, are more often or always the physical side of it. Um, and, and that's usually done with the physios. And then when I speak to the club doctors, he just says, okay, no worries. Can you give me the paperwork from your previous club or your GP just so I can have a copy of your HbA1c's and all your your recent um, you know blood tests and all that and and that's that's as simple as that. It's just an extra box to to write diabetic in on the on the medical list. As, as I suppose that's a, a positive thing is that they do only see it as just a, another little tick on the on a on a medical form and it's not seen as anything more than that because certainly seen a number of if you like experiences of people within football where it's been made a bigger deal than that so. I'm glad that you've had a, a situation, Jack, where essentially it sounds like they're more bothered about obviously your past with injuries rather than what is obviously our chronic health condition that we sort of, we all manage, you know, that are living with diabetes. 
And because of that, I just wondered, you know, your daily routine is obviously going to be more hectic in terms of activity than most others with the condition. I wondered what sort of routine that you had and how it differed between maybe matches and training. So you talked earlier about some of the principles that you like to put in there in terms of having, you know, three hours between your sort of meals and then training or games um, and having set routines in terms of, um, you know, the food that you have, maybe 24 hours uh, where you have things that are um, set in stone that you've been following for a while. I wondered if you could just talk us through those sorts of routines that you have, because it mirrors a very similar sort of approach that I have, that I try and stick to these principles and these routines. So I wondered if you could describe maybe a, a typical training day and a, and a typical match day for you. Yeah, so um, in terms of training, our training will start um, 9.45. Um, but I'm not waking up three hours before that to, to eat my food. I love my sleep too much. So on training, it's a little bit more relaxed. You know, I'll get up. Um, I like to have my scrambled eggs and a, a smoothie for my breakfast. Um, check my sugar levels, make sure I'm, I'm within range. Don't want to be too low because every time with physical activity, I'll dip a little bit. So if I need a, a little juice, I'll have, I'll have something just to, to boost myself up a little bit. I'll try to go out to training somewhere between seven and nine. Um, in an ideal world, that's that's exactly where I want to be. Um, so, yeah, in terms of a, a training schedule, it's it's not nearly as strict. I'll still keep an eye on my sugar levels. But in terms of a match day, you know, I'm checking 10, 11, 12 times before kickoff, especially if I've got the uh, the Freestyle Libra in my arm, which I swear by. I absolutely love it. I haven't got one in at the minute because it fell out the other day in the game. Um, that's something I wish that they would do a little bit better, making them a little bit stickier. Um but, Don't worry, they've heard you now, Jack. They're going to hear yeah. you after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I love getting on prescription. Don't take them away from me. But if they could be a bit stickier, that would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of a game, um, you know, the night before, I had the exact same pre-match meal. At the minute, it's uh, steak and rice with some veg. And then um, for a 3 p.m. kickoff, I'll wake up. I'll do some lantus in the morning. Um, I won't eat breakfast. I don't like having too much in my stomach. And I'll have my pre-match meal at somewhere between 11.45 and, and 12 o'clock. Um, again, I'm liking to have scrambled eggs and toast and the, the smoothie again, just because I, I really do understand what that does to my sugar levels. So I can, I don't need to worry about where my sugars are going to go and how much insulin I'm going to have to do and whatnot. I just, you know, if I'm having that, this is how much I need. And, and it's simple as that. And then I can focus on the game. Um, and then, yeah, leading up to kickoff, like I said, I'm, I'm checking my sugars multiple times in the change rooms, um, making sure that I'm at the level I want to be. I don't want to be going out to play above above 10, but I don't want to be going out to play below 7 because if I'm below 7, I'm just going to plummet and I'll need a Lucasade halfway through the game. If I'm above 10, it might just keep going up. And then I don't know how other people feel, but I fatigue quicker when my sugars are higher. I get like a dry mouth. Um, I'm noticeably, you know, during the game, I'm thinking I'm thirsty here. I'm, I'm not quite mentally mentally on it. So it's been very important for me, especially recently, to make sure that my sugars are in the optimal range so that I can just focus purely on the football. Yeah, I talk about um, being a yard slower 
when I feel high. So uh, that's something that my parents noticed when I was younger. They said, Chris, you look a yard slower. What are your levels like? And they would say, and I would always say, I don't I feel thirsty. And obviously then I knew I was high. So yeah, yeah 100% agree with you on that. And again, the range that you try and aim for, very similar to where I would aim for. And I guess it's probably pretty consistent for most of us that that's our kind of sweet spot maybe for um, trying to get into to, for football because as you said there's going to be different responses and I wondered if there was any games in particular you know you you mentioned there uh, earlier you talked about some games where all of a sudden your sugars go high do you think there's any any reason for that can you put a, do you get nervous is any you know have any adrenaline spikes you're more energized for particular games or you're more nervous for particular games which affect your glucose levels any emotions that sort of run into the game which impact on things um do nerves affect sugar levels is that is that a thing i'm not quite yeah. I've, I've not really read into do they massive oh, yeah I'd yeah that's, that's me learning about that for the first time um <laughs> i've never put two and two together but you know next time i'm nervous i'll, I'll keep a closer eye on my sugars you know i was um the, the start of the season my first time in league one i was definitely really nervous for the first few games yeah um come to think of it i might have been running a little bit high and i had to fight with them a little bit more to get down um but in terms of in terms of that, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm alright. If if I am nervous, I'll definitely keep a, a closer eye on them and, and see how my sugars react. But you know, as me learning again, I'm hey, every day. You guys teach me something new. Hey, we're not we're not just here to tell your story. <laughs> Clearly, Jack, we're 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 here supporting as well. So oh, no, there you go. That's it's all good. Um, and obviously we've been going through a really challenging period externally you know the wider world in through covid i wondered what sort of impact that's had on you in terms of both your football you know playing without crowds and then does that has that also gone across into the way that you manage diabetes or has that just been you know run of the mill normal thing for you that you've just been learning to manage like everybody else yeah i think it's been um similar experience to everyone really when when covid first hit um last seat or the season before last and and the season got cancelled i jumped on a plane and went back to australia with mum and dad so um you know i felt like especially being diabetic you know i wasn't really sure how if i was to get covid how that would affect me if it would affect me more than other people or what so that was an extra thing i had to think about and i thought you know just being in in that you know safe place where i know that i'm at home with my mum and dad and i'm I'm in a, a familiar environment with my local GPs and local hospital. I feel like that was the best place for me. But then when, once football um, started getting up and running again and, and uh, spoke to the gaffer here at Cambridge, you know, I jumped on a plane, came straight back over. And, um, you know, I, I was really fortunate to be able to get, you know, basically straight back into the same routine as what I was in, whereas, you know, other people were working from home and isolating and all this. Um, it, was, it was really tough on, on them, but I was one of the fortunate ones to be able to continue playing football, continue with the routine that I had, still being able to exercise daily, play football, had a focus in my mind. I, I knew what I was going to be doing every day and what I was working towards. So I think in terms of that, I was really lucky to be able to keep, keep playing. I think we were all very envious of those that were still able to play um football those that were professionals that were continuing despite the pandemic um and I just wondered with your diabetes then Jack you've mentioned already that you're using a CGM you're using freestyle Libra have you ever considered a pump as well or is that something that you've ever been had that conversation around with your healthcare professionals or is it only ever really been for you 
about using that freestyle Libra or that um, continuous glucose monitor? Um, the when I mentioned the, the the couple of diabetic friends I had when I was younger, they were on a pump. I didn't like the idea of every time having to do something physical, having to take it out, protect it, and put it on the side, and they said that they, that affected their sugars. I don't know if they've changed that in recent years, but at the time, for me, who was doing basically a different sport every day, I didn't want to have to just you know take it out every time and then put it back in. I didn't know um, how that was going to affect me, and and the the insulin that I was on seemed to be working perfectly. I, I liked the routine that I was in. I was comfortable in that routine. It seemed to be working for me. Um, so I, I didn't really see any need in changing that. Um, and then when the freestyle lever came around and it just, you know, simplified things even more, you know, I've got the app on my phone now. So there's, there's even times where I won't even need, like, I've got like a basically a little pencil case with all my needles and pens and glucose monitor in it. You know, now sometimes I can go out for dinner with my girlfriend, I'll put an insulin pen and a needle in her handbag and I've got the app on my phone and then I'm just, you know, it's, it's one less thing to carry around really. So. I, I love the freestyle Libra um, and, you know, the, the pump is something that's never really appealed to me. I've had a couple conversations with it, with, uh, with doctors, but what I'm on now, I'm comfortable with. It works for me and I don't really see any, any reason in changing that at the minute. It, it, it's funny just, just picking up on what you're saying there about the pump, because for years that was exactly my thought on it, my opinion. And, and like I said, being attached to something, having to, like take it off for football, take it off for, for whatever activities, can't go swimming with it in. Um, and then I think maybe four or five years ago, I, I actually changed to a pump. I was having, I, I just could not control the um, the morning spike and it was sort of starting at 3am and my blood sugars were just rocketing up. Um, so went on to the pump. Um, for me, best decision I ever made. And I think my, my, specialist nurse have been going on for probably best part of four or five years for me to do it but i've i've recently changed to the it's, it's one called the omnipod so and, and it's a yeah, wireless one that. yeah oh, i tell you what it's it's an absolute game changer yeah. not having to like like you said having to take it off having this this thing i mean obviously you, you still got it attached to you but it's it's obviously bigger um than the, 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 the libra but having this thing just, just just sort of stuck on you and not having to un, uh, undo the pump and or like moving in in the middle of the night was it was one admit for me that was one of the big things um, how big is it so it's i mean I, we're looking that big yeah so because i usually chuck the, the lever just on the on my tricep there and yeah try and chuck some tape over the top of that so yeah so at the moment that would get in the way yeah, well, at the moment I've got it on my outer thigh. So there's lots of different sites you can you can put it on. So you can you can go like your, your triceps. So that the same. So there's there's times I've had the Libra there and then the Omnipod the other side of it. Um, so you can go on your abdomens. You can go go on your buttocks. You can go on your actual thigh. Um, which for for me was interesting when we when we did one of our training sessions and I was coming up to it. I had to make sure that I didn't have it on my thigh because I was in my head. I'm going right. That's going to get in the way of playing football. So yeah. I need to make sure I've either got it on the arm. So you're changing it every two, three days. So you're going right. I've got a game then, or, or I'm doing that then. I've got to make sure at that point, at that change, I'm going to have it on my arm or, or on my abdomen. But it's no. If for me, it's it's made a massive difference being on that pump but i completely resonate with with, with what you were saying um 
about being being anti it um, to start with, and, and, and the, that thought process of it's going to get in the way, or I'm going to have to take it off, and like the, the other thing is always having to have pockets on your shorts or trousers. I mean, you, you can get the belt clip, but you don't really want to be going around with this pump attached to your belt. So, but now it's just it's there. It's under the shorts, under the t-shirt, and the, the only other thing you have to carry with you is. The, the, the PDM, which is just like a, a smaller mobile phone. It's, for, for me, it's an absolute game changer. Oh, I love how the, uh, the technology is developing, really. It oh. seems to be making things a lot easier for so many people. Um, and yeah, like I said before, you know, some stuff, you know, might work for a lot of people, but then when you get down to the nitty gritty stuff, certain stuff's only going to work for you and certain stuff's yeah. only going to work for someone else. So it's, it's good that they don't just have one thing set in stone, that that's the only way you can go about it. I love the fact that they're trying to branch off and make things easier for different kinds of sugar levels and, and people doing different things yeah absolutely and i from the, the same perspective as as yourself jack i came from a, a a place growing up where i didn't want things attached to me and it was something that i struggled with and something i still haven't quite fully changed and i haven't really thought about the pump in any depth so when peachy started showing me the omnipod it actually started to sway me around to the thoughts of having a pump but at the same time like you said earlier if you are working well on injections and your hba1c is good and actually you've got like the freestyle libra or the the cgm now that's making things tick over well it's almost like why would you change and i'm in that position at the moment similar to you where i've got access to i use the dexcom um not the freestyle Libra, so probably the other one uh, that's used by most. And I get on well with it in terms of sport. So from my perspective, I'm not overly sold on going onto the pump, but it's not something I'm going to rule out completely because like John said, things can change and with your, the way that you manage your condition and it can be really uh, a, a necessary feature to managing the condition um, in the future. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, Jack, what, when you came to particular situations in a game where maybe things aren't going quite as planned, if you like, with diabetes, have you had to make any drastic decisions? Maybe have you had to come off in any games because of your diabetes? Have you had to run off? Maybe when you've been playing for, you know, um, in recent years like Cambridge or Carlisle, have you had to run off to the side and grab some hypo treatments in the middle of a game? Has anything like that happened to you in your professional career? Um, there's two situations that stick out in my head. The first one was I was 15 years old. Yeah. Um, and I just, my sugars were running a little bit high pregame. And I just did too much insulin before the game to try and drop them down and got about 20 minutes in and I couldn't see straight. It was, heart rate was through the roof. I was sweating. It was all, you know, the trademark low symptoms. Um, and, you know, I, I did what I, I knew I was going to do. I, I sat down and I waited for the physio to run on. And at that time it was a, a, a Gatorade back home in Australia. So I chugged the Gatorade. Um, but my coach um just he he wasn't really experienced with the diabetes and he just wanted to look after me so he just brought me off and just said like i, I don't want anything to happen to you this is a, a nothing game there's no point you know you're going away next week to to do the scholarship thing i just want to make sure that you get there okay so in terms of, of that when when he said that you know i knew where he was coming from but at the time you know i was really disappointed with i didn't want the diabetes to be an excuse for 
to have to come off. So that was a that was a tough one when when he said, you know, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. I, I never wanted the diabetes to get in the way of something. Now, if I'm going to come off, make it because I'm having an absolute stinker on the pitch or I'm injured. One of the two. Don't do it because my sugars are low. So that was a, a learning curve on on pregame management of insulin levels and food and all that. And then the second one was last season versus Cheltenham away. Ball's gone out for a corner and I'm staying back for a corner. And all I did was run over to the physio and say, I need a Lucasade. And while um, I, I showered on the boy taking the corner, I just said, like, take your time, just walk. And I think he, he must have clocked like what was going on. And he just bent down, tied his shoelaces and walked over. And I had, had enough time to have the Lucasade. And they went back and stood on the halfway line. And then he whipped the corner in and, and that was game back on. So that's the only two situations um, that, that, that spring into mind, really. The only two times it's affected me mid-game. I thought you were going to say they, they whipped the corner in and you nodded it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They, uh, Lucas they powered, the yeah, Lucas Aid powered me into scoring a goal. <laughs> you, <laughs> would, would you do the, the, the Gaza celebration, wouldn't you? Right now with someone putting the Lucas Aid in. Big oh, point I have to. to. <laughs> I didn't drink too much of it. I was my sugars would go high then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, um, and then I wanted to ask you, Jack, obviously at that, League One, League Two, there's a couple of other guys also living with Type One that are playing in the professional game. Have you crossed paths? Have you played against each other? Or if you maybe in Scotland as well, have you crossed paths with anyone that's with Type One diabetes that's um, played against or with? Yeah, that I, that I know of, two players. Yeah. Uh, the first one um, was Scott Allen when I was playing for, I was playing for Carlisle. We had a preseason friendly against Hibbs. Um, and he came down and, and played um, against against us. Um, so he he actually didn't know that I was diabetic at the time. I knew he was diabetic. I knew who he was because he was, um, you know, played for Hibs, played for Celtic. You now he's a big player. I was trying to take inspiration from these kind of guys when I was younger. Um, and he actually had a situation after the game where his sugars were, were sky high and he couldn't find um, any needles to take his insulin with. Um, so I had to run back to my house and get him one of my needles and... He, he was he was on the Nova Rapid as well, so he, he used one of my needles to to help himself get back under control. So, um, and then yeah, he's he followed me on Instagram, and that's I think he's got like ninety thousand followers. So there's a there's a claim to fame for me. Um, and then the second one was Ben Coker, who I think you guys have had on. Um, you know, we sort of knew of each other. You know, I, I was really good friends with one of his really good friends. I knew that he was diabetic and you know, he's a left back as well. So it's that, that kind of similarities. And I was, I was marking him on, on a corner when, when he played for Steven his last year, I was at Cambridge. He, they had an attacking corner. He was, uh, he, I was marking him. Um, and we both had straps around my arm, around our arms. And we sort of just looked at each other and was like, you know, freestyle Libra. And he's like, yeah, freestyle Libra. So we're just like talking about like how good it was um, managing levels. Well, one of his players is trying to whip a ball in for a cross. So that's, that's the, the two diabetics that I know that I've come across, but I'm you know, probably a, a good couple more that there has been. Yeah, and that would have been some picture, by the way, wouldn't it, at that corner of you two having a chat about a freestyle yeah. Libra? I wish somebody <laughs> had got that on camera. <laughs> Brilliant. You um, Obviously, massive congratulations on the promotion last year. You're now up to League One where you joined the mighty Wiccan Wanderers. <laughs> Look, looking forward to that on Boxing Day already. So, uh, is it? Oh, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, that'll, that'll be good. Um, talk us through that that promotion. So you, you, you're going into your last game, needing a point. 
what was the what was the what was the feeling like how did you did you treat it just like any other game was there a lot of nerves in the in, in the dressing room uh it was a mad few weeks to be honest um we should have been promoted two or three weeks before all we needed was a point for the last three games and we lost against uh stevenage when i think i was marking uh cokes on the corner and then we lost the week after we lost 5-4 to harrogate and all we needed was a point there we would have been up um, and then, you know, after those two weeks, you know, we, we got to the last week of training and we're all looking around at each other going like, surely, surely we haven't messed it up this badly. You know, we were in first position for most of the season and now we're in a chance of dropping into the, the playoff spots, which is, you know, there's far too much pressure in those kind of games. And we, we're just thinking like, surely, surely we haven't messed this up. Grimsby had already been relegated. They, they had nothing to lose. So that was one of them ones where they were just coming with no fear to play. Um, and I'd been playing, I think I played 12 games in a row up until that point. Um, and then I was, uh, I was left out of the team for, for the, the final game. I was on the bench. Um, so I was, I was a little bit annoyed about that. But, you know, as soon as the boys started scoring goals, we, I think we won 3-0. That was an emotion that I've never had before and one that I'll hold on to forever, knowing that after such a long season and, and such amount of, uh, you know, weird injuries and the managing the diabetes and all that stuff that I've been able to, tick off something as cool as being able to get promoted with a with a club and and shock it was during a season where we had no fans in there to celebrate with us but yeah mate, even still um now being being able to get promoted after such a long and, and weird season you know with the covid and a lot of people struggling and us being able to give you know especially the cambridge supporters a little bit of happiness you know tuesday and, and saturdays winning a lot of games and giving them something to look forward to and, and something to be involved with and something to be excited about. You know, it was, uh, it was really, really special and something I'll hold on to forever. And of course, the, the key question in that is, how was the party after the promotion? <laughs> I'll put it this way. A, <laughs> a, a couple of the boys woke up the next day still with their shin pads on. <laughs> That's, Brilliant. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that, yeah. <laughs> Just, just tying into that, and and obviously you don't, don't want to go into too much detail. Um, did the diabetes behave in the when you're celebrating after? Is is that something that you, you, you're more aware of that other people around you are aware of, or did you just go? Do you know what? It's been an unbelievably hard season. I'm just going to enjoy myself and and and, and celebrate. Yeah, um, you know, I still celebrated nearly as much as anyone else, except for the fact that I actually don't drink. So um, I've always been sober, so I could I could fully enjoy the celebrations while waking up the next day fresh as a daisy and still knew exactly what my sugars were. And I, I think I had maybe a full fat Coke with an injection just to really let loose. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, no, nah, I've... I've always been the kind of guy, you know, I don't drink, but when I'm, when I'm out with my mates that are having a drink, you know, I'll, I'll chuck them in the car and I'll make sure that they get home safely. So that's something that, something that I do. And I, I still really enjoy myself. I don't think we got to bed until the early hours in the morning. Um, I did manage to get my shin pads off because I was fully functional <laughs> and, and uh, woke up the next day feeling good. So no, it, was, it was still a, a really, really great night. And it was actually a great few weeks, to be honest, because we didn't just leave it at one night. We kept meeting up and, and having some, some good time. Brilliant. And and was it you mentioned there about about there there not being any fans in? Did that did that feel? Was there a bit of? Did it feel a bit flat? Did did you feel oh it would be good to do it, or are you now just going to go? 
do you know what? We're going to win League One now. We're in front of the fans. Um, you know, we uh, we always had such a, a good environment within the dressing room that you know all of our energy and our our voices and the you know the intensity and stuff that all came from within. So we always had that feeling of of intensity. But on the on the promotion day, I think there was three three hundred fans out in the car park. So we were all on top of the. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. We were all on top of the the turnstile terraces with you know there was like flares getting chucked around and flags everywhere. So we still did get to celebrate with them a little bit. Um, but this season, as, as much as we do want to say we want to win League One, I think we need to keep our feet on the ground a little bit. There's only so much Wes Hulahan can do for one team. Um, oh. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, we just want to really want to stay in the league and, and be competitive. I, I, was, I read something at the weekend just about how good he's been at, at this level. And, and, and by far, it's just, what was it like training with someone like that every day and, and, and playing with it when someone who can, is quite obviously absolutely got it and, and, and can could play at a higher level? Honestly, it's it's so hard to articulate the stuff that he can do. Like the, he's honestly, he's just a joke, really. He's he's a cheat code, basically. In training, he just <laughs> he does what he wants, and there's nothing you can do to stop him. And then it's it's an absolute joy when you see him on a Saturday, when you've got the ball at your feet and you're in a bit of trouble, and you look up and you just see Wes just standing there with about four people around him. And you know, you know what? I'll give Wes the ball. He'll do something cool with it. <laughs> um, and he just he just runs the game by himself, and I think he's 39 now, and he's still moving about like a spring chicken. It's honestly terrifying to think how good he would have been when he was, you know, 27, 28, 29. I think he scored at the last Euros against Italy. I'm sure someone said that the other day. You know, for, to to be able to play, you know, on the same pitch as as someone who's played in all these massive, massive games, represented his country at the highest level, played in the Premier League, played against the biggest biggest players in the world, to then being able to to come and, and share you know the qualities that he has with us, it's 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 really cool. Yeah, I can imagine it's pretty amazing to be able to share that pitch and those memories with him. So, we're it's certainly a player that I've grown up watching and admired the way he plays the game. He plays it in a way that you just can't help but smile when you watch. So, those are the sorts of players that everybody wants to have in their team and everybody wants to be uh, a part of that team when he's playing. You know, he seems to play with a smile on his face as well, which I think is always endears people to players like that, that you can just tell are enjoying the moment and enjoying the game. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine it's just a joy to be around. Um, yeah, Jack, he, we... he, loves, he loves football. He, he plays football yeah. like he's in the playground with his mates at lunchtime. <laughs> Honestly, he just takes yeah. on whoever he wants, nutmegs whoever he wants. He hit a volley from about 40 yards the other day. It went miles over the bar, but because it was Wes, we're like, you know what, Wes? <laughs> Fair enough. Have another go. You could you can see that. You know, you watch it from the TV screens and you can just see that the way he plays, he's just, he's out there. It's like he could get out there with a pair of flip-flops on and just uh, spray a few balls around and he'd just, he'd be laughing and smiling no matter what happens. So, um, yeah. I can imagine we need to try and watch a game with Cambridge. You need to get down to a game this season and see him play in the flesh because he is a he's a he's a he's a great player. He always has been. So um, yeah, I can imagine you enjoy enjoy training and games with him. Um, Jack, we're gonna break it up now with uh, with a few questions from Mr. Peach. So we like to play a little game where. John will explain all, but it is just to find out a few random things out about you. And 
yeah, without you being able to plan too much as to what the question oh. might be. It's a it's a random right. affair. Mr. Peach is going to throw at you. So go on, John. It's, it's completely random. You're just going to... I've got 26 questions written down. All you've got to do, give me your first number and I'll read out the questions to you. Right. Got uh, it. Yeah. Four. Oh, I was banking on you going three as your first one. I'll go four. <laughs> it's four. Um, in your opinion, who is the best superhero out there? Oh, um... Me and Melissa just watched every Marvel movie from start to finish. I'm going to say Thor. It's a big call. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I haven't heard anyone go Thor before. You want to go Thor? I think what? I've got the little uh, Australian affection to him as well, big Hemsworth. <laughs> um, so, got to stay loyal to the, to the country. Um, oh, nah, Thor's, Thor's a good one. We'll go three. Good. Three. Here we go. Um, who's going to win the Premier League this year? Liverpool. Liverpool fan or not? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Slightly why then. Yeah. yeah. It's usually, usually, uh, usually biased, chat. Hugely biased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Brighty's been saying Villa are going to win the league. So. Ex- yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> Villa it, fan, right? Yeah. I, unfortunately, for my sins, <laughs> I am an Aston Villa fan, Jack, and oh, right. I quite regularly get absolutely shredded for it on this podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's tough, mate. It's tough. However, oh. three points out of up. six. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, we lost Jack Grealish, um, but we're, we're all right. We're doing okay. Quietly yeah, confident. Wow. Uh, I'll go I'll go 14. 14. Uh, if you could see one band or artist perform live, who would it be? It could be someone dead, someone alive. Bring it back to life. Who would be your ultimate band or artist to see um alive i would love to see drake because i haven't had the chance um dead i would love to see michael jackson would have loved to have ever seen michael jackson live you know he, he was ben coker's one wasn't he was yeah. it i, I tell you, i'll ask you the same question i asked him then have you got the moonwalk in your locker <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> see well that's just just as well you say that because what ben coker did he told me yes and then he promised when he scored he would do the moonwalk. And guess what? He scored a couple of weeks ago. No, he scored a couple of weeks ago. Guess what happened? He didn't didn't do the the moonwalk. (laughs) No, I I can't dance. As much as I'd (laughs) love to say I've got two left feet, if I had two left feet, I'd be some player, but (laughs) I I can't dance. So Um, we'll go go 10. Do you want another? Oh, he's, he's gone into extra time. Yeah, we like it. He's enjoying it. He's enjoying it. I'm, keep oh, going. One. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, ten. What is your speciality when cooking? I'm horrific in the kitchen. I've got a good pasta bake that my girlfriend absolutely loves. And other than that, I've got. I'm offering absolutely nothing in the kitchen. Is it from a jar? Yes. <laughs> There's three ingredients in it. It's pasta, cheese, and pasta sauce. It's definitely a Dolmio special, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Unless it's not on special, in which case it's uh, as the home brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm loving these. Let's just do another one. Let's go. You want some more? Go on. Um, uh, I'll have 26. Oh, here we go. Again, completely random. Would you rather be stuck in a room with one horse-sized duck or 20 duck-sized horses? 
<laughs> this question's unbelievable. Are, are they hostile? Oh, because that changes. I've, I've, the, that changes. I've that in there. It depends. Are you able to tame them? They might be. I'm pretty good with animals, to be fair. But 26 of them, I don't know if I'd be able to. I think. I think I like Harry Potter, and one horse-sized duck sounds like a uh, buckbeak. So I might, I might jump on that buckbeak and, and fly out. What an answer! I love that. <laughs> best one yet. That is best answer yet. Is there more? I I, I got in trouble do, for being an extra time there. I don't. No, no. You, well, it's, do you want another one? It's up to you, or or, or Brighty can do his bit. I, I don't mind. I'm enjoying I'm, this. I'm absolutely. I'm having fun as well. Go on, let's do one more. One more, then. One more. Um, have I had 14 yet? Did I say 14? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did I say 11? No. I'll have 11, Great. then. Favourite television show? Uh, Criminal Minds. Ooh, not aware of that one. Never seen Criminal Minds? No. Uh, it's a good one. So stop, stop making it now, but it's, it's, it's one that I've, I've loved. No, it's not one that I've come across either. Um, Isn't it? No, it's not one. I thought it was one. a pretty well-known. Uh, I'm watching no. Friends start to finish at the minute. I've never actually seen Friends all the way through, so uh been watching Friends, that. Friends is one of those that is just, uh, I'm going to sit down and veg tonight. I can just flick it. You can flick yeah. it on whenever, can't you? And yeah, chuck it on in the background. Easy watching. Yeah, it's... Friends it is a fun fact. I've never watched Friends. I don't even think I've watched one episode from start to finish. So, um, well, there you go. I've, you know, I let the side down. I'm sure most people that will be listening to this podcast will go, where have you been living, bro? Has it been under that rock for the last 30 years? And they could be quite right in suggesting it. So, um, has Friends, has Friends not made it to? No, mate, it hasn't. Um, we live in a, a, a stage of time where actually... Yeah, friends is um is far too far in the future for us here. But um yeah, I've never watched it. So um apologies to all the friends fans out there uh, that listen to this podcast. So yeah, it is what it is. Um that was that was pretty funny. And that was uh yeah, thanks for partaking in our yeah. uh, ridiculous game, Jack. It was uh, very amusing and uh great answers. Probably some of the best answers, Peach, I reckon we've had to the uh absolutely food. loving that to the questions so um appreciate that i'm going to ask you a couple more serious questions unfortunately jack just to finish on there's only a couple no more left, but hopefully there'll be ones that you um enjoy as well but in a slightly different way because hopefully they'll show um another side to where you are at the moment which is something i wanted to touch on was a, an award that you'd picked up um at last season at cambridge for being a community champion um, and this was for your work supporting people with diabetes. And I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about some of the things you have been doing in the community in Cambridge that led to you getting that award. And then maybe some of the things that you might be considering that you'd like to do more of to help other people with diabetes in the future. Yeah, so um, I was actually quite surprised when I won the uh, the community award. Um, the The main thing that, you know, I think stood out to them was, um, I was approached by uh, a parent on Instagram just saying that um, his his kid had been, you know, 
uh, I think recently diagnosed and had been struggling a little bit just with you know everything that you know any kid that recently diagnoses is, is going to be struggling with and just basically asked um, if there's like a, a little message I can give to them or something and I thought uh, I'll, I'll be able to do something better than that so I organized to he got me a, a Cambridge shirt sent into the club and I just got it signed by all the lads at, at, at training you know they were uh, Cambridge fans um, and I thought you know it's, it's a little boost that I can give to them and it it's it's no you know no hair off my back. It, it's something easy done for me. So I've got the the shirt signed by, by all the boys and, and written a little message on it, and then just you know put a little a little handwritten note in there, just just saying you know keep going. It, it will get easier. Um, if there's anything they need, they can they can get in touch and just sent sent it back to them and, and didn't really think anything of it. And then uh, yeah, it picked up a bit of steam and was the community champion after that so that, that was really really cool to to be awarded with um it's it's something that i i do care about is you know I, I really don't like it when i see these these younger kids that are get upset um because you know the, the other kids are giving them a hard time or they're struggling with their sugar levels or they don't feel like they could do their sport you know it's 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 just not fair on them really i was really lucky when i was diagnosed i had great friends around me i was at that age where you know the the kids and the teenagers around me a better understanding and 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 more you know emotionally developed to to not exclude me and and to actually help me you know feel like nothing's changed um and i i want everyone else to to have that same experience um so that's that's something that i would i would really like to be able to push that message out there as much as possible possible and do you think the club are going to support you in in helping do a little bit more for the those maybe in your local area with, with diabetes in the future do you think that's something you could pull on the cambridge foundation to sort of support you with if, if there's something that i was going to explore um in in more uh, detail 100 the club's absolutely fantastic in what they do in the community um they're always working so so hard i know in uh during covid you know the, the club was doing the community trust and and the you know, the community section of the team was working so so hard and, and trying to to help out a lot of the the Cambridge supporters and a lot of people in Cambridge as, as much as possible. So, without a doubt, if if there's something that you know I've I've got a project or something that that I'm gonna explore, um, I know for a fact that I'll be able to to lean on the club and and I have no doubt that they would be more than happy to to assist me with with what I was gonna try and do. That's amazing. And it's great to hear that you've obviously you're playing at a club that holds community engagement in such high regard. Obviously, football has an incredible uh, opportunity to support people and strive for change. And um, it's great that you've got that back in if you would want it to do something in, in that realm of diabetes um, and then there's something else that might need a bit of backing, Jack, and something that I wanted to ask you around, which is a bit more jovial, was... Um, We've got a UK all diabetes futsal squad, which might need a player in the future. So I wondered, Jack, if we can tap you up in in the future to uh, to uh, to pull on a shirt. We might have to reach out to your Scottish roots over your Australian roots to get you into the UK team. But I wondered how you felt about donning on the shirt to represent the team in the in the European Championships in the future. <laughs> Uh, you might need to have a word with my gaffer about that one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if if you guys need a, a striker who, who can't score goals, then I'm your man. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're in. We've got many strikers that can't <laughs> score goals. One of Brilliant. them being one of them being me, mate. So um, he can take your place, Brighty. Well, that's what I mean. That's what you I mean. You got two up top in foot zone, now. Uh, <laughs> well, we could we'll, we could play a two-two, mate, and we could put um, you who doesn't score goals next to me who doesn't score goals, and I think we'd be a, a highly non-prolific strike partnership. So um, it sounds like the makings of a of a great team. But um, perfect. Yeah, well, maybe when you retire, if you've got to ask permission from the gaffer, maybe we can tap you up in the future, mate. But obviously, you've got many more years ahead of you. So, um, yeah, good good luck with that, and we'll we'll be waiting for that that moment when we can we can pounce on you, Jack, and get you in the in the squad. Um, as we're always looking for top type one talent um, to to help us out in our quest for European glory. Um, we're making good progress, but yeah, Jack, we'll, we'll tap you up in the future. Um, and then slightly away from the jokes and, and just a, a final question to you really, Jack, just to finish on was um, I know your example um, to many people out there with type 1 diabetes is going to be enough to sort of inspire and uh, push people to want to achieve and look up to. But I wondered what your final or your parting message maybe for this podcast would be about what you would say to somebody living with type one um, who's passionate about football, who maybe wants to follow in your footsteps in the future and become a professional footballer. What would you say maybe to that, that kid growing up? Um, I would 100% say, do not be afraid of what you think the diabetes is going to do to your life. If you are committed to being able to control your diabetes and get, get on top of it, there's absolutely no reason why it will get in the way of you doing what you want to do as, as soon as you've got control of the diabetes all you have to do is focus on getting as good as you can possibly get and chasing your dreams and and making happen you know what you want to happen i was uh, i was worried about it when i was first diagnosed um but was quickly then reassured by the experts around me that there is absolutely no reason why it will stop me from being a professional footballer and it hasn't you know i'm, I'm here i've been a pro now for i think this might be my fifth season um after a little bit of a slow start with the knee injuries but, you know, it's, it's not in the way. It's just a little extra thing to think about. And I get to have a little bit more Lucas aid than, than other people. So who's, uh, who's the real losers here? Huh? No, absolutely. Wise words, mate. And, um, yeah, just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, coming on to the podcast to have a chat with us today. It's been a, a great conversation that we've, I think we've both thoroughly enjoyed. We've had a, we've had a good laugh. We've hopefully sort of passed on some wise words as well to those that have been, will be listening uh, with type one and, and maybe those that care for others with type one. And um, Or anyone that gets stuck in a room with a duck sized horse. <laughs> yeah. Just buckbeat. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just buckbeat. Yeah. So. Just buckbeat. But um, yeah, it's it's been fun. Thank you, Jack, for giving up your your time to have a chat with us. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed it, um, and you know, uh, thank you for providing that inspiration, being a role model for people with Type One. Um, we certainly look up to you, as I'm sure there'll be many others that do in the community. So keep doing all the amazing stuff that you're doing on the pitch, and obviously all the amazing stuff that I know you're keen to do off it as well in, in continuing to inspire people with the condition as well so just a massive thank you mate for, for giving up your time and having a chat with us no thanks for having me on guys i've uh, really enjoyed it and hopefully uh, everyone else has uh, enjoyed it as well yeah it's been, been, been brilliant really really easy to chat to as well jack so yeah massive thanks massive thanks no for worries. your time with that not a problem cheers jack 
Well, that's it for this episode. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, that will help us and the show to reach more people. Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show, send us an email about the Diabetes Dugout to the Diabetes Football Community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.